Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your very best friend. And I'm back. I have not made a podcast in like a month, and I've been trying to find time to do it. And then today, uh, our friend uh, Andrew Lewin from Speak Up for Blue said, hey, Clay, when's your next podcast coming out? And I said, well, can you help me make one? And then here he is. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Happy to be back. This is awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad you uh, you said, "Hey, would you come on and 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 help me do this podcast?" I'm I'm down for that all the time. I love talking to fish nerds. It's it's so much fun. And and I've been gone because I'm in my summer schedule, and my summer schedule yeah. means make a podcast whenever you have time. As everyone knows, I don't make podcasts for a living. I'm not a rich podcaster like Andrew. Um, I am a oh, poor. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> runs a small business and has kids in the summertime and I work at a camp and I'm just so busy, but God, I missed making this show. And so I'm actually making uh, this show tonight and I'm excited about it and I'm glad to be back. Uh, I got about 50 emails, Andrew, from listeners saying, where the hell are the fish nerds? We need our fish nerds on our iPhones or on our Androids or whatever. And that's I a lot of you. emails. And I, every single I one, I'm a- like, stay with me. you know i've actually been telling people on my podcast about fish nerds so some of them might be my my people coming over and being like hey andrew told me about the fish nerds so where where are you but i've been talking about fish nerds all the time i actually said it in one of the one of the podcasts i recorded today that will be coming out in the next couple of days be sure and tag me in it because i like to hear my name my ego needs it uh you know it's funny (laughs) a conservation podcast right yeah and, and do you ever do an, an episode, or an episode, when you're in real life, do you ever have any conservation faux pas? Do you ever do something that's not conservative enough in that area, and then you tell people about it, and then some other cons- conservationist is like, holy cow, I can't believe you just did that. Oh, yeah. Does that happen Oh, to you? for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, 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 you know what? The one thing I, I do when I come out is I, I always say I'm not perfect, mm-hmm. and I don't expect anybody to be perfect perfect and so when i talk about conservation i talk about you know sort of conservation to live for a better ocean a lot of the times i'm just like there are times where i'm like i'm super strict about certain things like plastic bags i will not take a plastic bag from a grocery store from a convenience store i've to a to a fault where i've forgotten reusable bags and i've actually (laughs) taken you know i look you know have you ever seen that meme with uh the the chimpanzee taking out all the oranges and he's like yeah. running, he's got some on his feet, like in his feet. And he's like, <laughs> and a lot of times it's like, this is, that's me taking groceries out of the grocery store. Sometimes I'm just, I've got it all over the place. And of course I refuse to take a bag. Uh, and I just make things difficult for myself and I pack it all individually. And then mm-hmm. when I bring it home, my wife's like, are you crazy? Like, why didn't you bring a reusable bag? I'm like, I forgot them and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. Um, so there's some things I do to a fault, but then there's other things I do. Like I'll go to a restaurant and, and order a drink and then I forget to ask for no straw. And then well, lo and behold, the straw comes into, it comes in front of me and it's just, you know, and then you look, you're like, Oh Christ, if somebody had seen me now and then I'll, I'll but I'll admit it on the podcast and be like, I, this is, happens to me all the time. And cause it happens to a lot of people mm-hmm. and I don't want people to feel guilty for it happening because it's not really their fault. It happens. It's part right. of the culture. It, it, it's part of the things. It happened to me the other day. I was in the coast of Maine and I was eating uh, some fried seafood, which, mm. by the way, these restaurants now they're serving paper straws at, at their fried. Yeah, seafood. I don't like the paper straws, but I I like the the effort. Yeah, I I, I don't care. I, I have a metal straw with my metal cup. I always use, but I was happy to see not the not the plastic. Yeah. Which is great. And 
I look in the water and there were ducks and there were um, striped bass. Right. Nice. And I turned my, uh, my iPhone on and my daughter started throwing French fries in the water. And the striped Ooh. bass dun, dun, dun. French fries. And so I'm yeah. like, whoa, this is crazy. I put it up online and Rhett Talbot from uh, Beyond Data yeah. Podcast is like, holy hell, I can't believe you're feeding fish French fries. God damn it, don't do that. And I'm like, uh, oh man, you want to kill Joy. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, oh he's, yeah. He's right. Yeah. But come on. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's not there with I mean, <laughs> it's No, so it's awesome. true. And it's true. And sometimes you can't control it because sometimes people already do it and, and stuff. And, and there, are times where I, <laughs> there are times where I tell like my kids not to do something. And then mm-hmm. I look over at somebody else doing it. And it's like, don't feed the ducks like bread. And then I look over and there's this older person feeding the ducks bread. And the kids are like, well, he got to do it or she got to do it. Right. Or are they going to my kids. My daddy says you're a jerk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're very – kids are like – are almost cruel about it where they'll oh. like judge you if you do something wrong. Oh, it doesn't matter who you are. They don't care. They're just like, no, that's awful, not right. Awful awful people. So – all right, let's run down these shows. <laughs> this small talk, you know, come on. I, it's, I just miss this so much. All right, so anyway, so tonight on the podcast, we got a lot going on. Rich Collins, our fly fishing correspondent, uh, is back with a vengeance. He went urban fly fishing for carp, uh, which is a thing, I guess. You can go fly fishing for carp. He went into Lowell, yeah. Massachusetts and fished for Catch carp. Catch them all. Yeah, with uh, brackishflies.com, so he's going to check that out. Uh, I'm back. Nice. I worked at a summer camp. I might talk a little bit about that. We'll see. I'm not excited about talking about that, but I have a couple of little stories. Um, of course, we're going to have some news tonight. Doc Martin is with us. She's got a little fake fish in the news. Uh, and uh, I want to announce I want to announce a new segment for the show. And I've been listening to a lot All of right. like advice and relationship podcasts. Like uh, Savage Lovecast is amazing. I listen to that podcast. Uh, I've been binging on it which is all like, I, didn't, okay. I have no idea about the lives people live. Like, I'm so vanilla, but I'm fascinated. So I thought, man, you know what the fish nerds need is I need to do relationship advice uh, for people. So we have a new segment on the podcast called Fishing Ruined My Life. So uh, what I want people to do is call into the show, which is 607-378-FISH, and say, hey, fish nerds, fishing ruined my life. And then ask me a relationship question. And I will tell you how fish can solve all your life problems. I love that. So, yeah. So if you've got like a, you know, let's say, you know, your wife has a honey-do list for you that's too long. Yeah. Which I hate. I hate. Always. Lists. They're always too long. I, I hate. Let's be I, honest. I would never give a list to anybody in my house. But I, I get them. <laughs> I get them. I, get I hate them. them. I hate them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I try not to. I do the, I do the list. Uh, <laughs> but I hate them. Uh, and. And so, like, what if that's your question? And so I can tell you, I can take fishing and tie it to that problem and, so, and help you save yourself. And so, anyway, the, the segment's called Fishing Room My Life. I can answer questions about family, interdynamics, uh, sex, which would be really fun because I know we're all about fish sex, and anything else you might have. Call them in. Be funny. Be creative. Use fake names if you don't want to use your real name. But if you do, that's cool. If you run a business, you can mention your website. That's totally legitimate. And we will use them on the show starting on next week's show. In fact, John King, the crappy hippie, is co-hosting next week's show with me. And he will help answer our very first uh, question, which I've already gotten. 
So uh, oh, nice. you can still get them in 607-378-FISH. Ask us uh, anything about your life and we will solve it with fish. <laughs> I love it. I yes, love it. it should be fun. Um, but hey, Andrew, yes. you're here. I am. And I think you're the, so you're the guest of honor. Well, thank you. And you've made 500 episodes of your stupid yeah. show. I am so impressed. I was so proud of 200. And you're <laughs> going, huh, yeah, 200, huh? Yeah, 200. Yeah, I did that like two years five ago. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> 500 episodes. What the hell is wrong with you? I like to talk, man. Oh, I like to talk do. to myself uh, a lot. And I like to talk about the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I did so many. Uh, I can t- actually. So after the 500th episode, I decided. Oh, I should say, that- by the way, we should say your your podcast is called Speak Up for Blue. Uh, for those who are yeah. new to the podcast, and you do an ocean conservation show, yes. and you also are a um, correspondent for the Fish Nerds. You are a conserv our conservation correspondent officially. I, I, I didn't tell you that yet, um, but you are. Okay, I love it. You're gonna be on, you're gonna be on our it. website as our conservation guy, our go nice. guy for conservation talk. Uh, so you're part of this podcast, but of course we're going to talk about your ocean conservation. So 500 episodes, and yeah, and why do people care? You know what? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> people are always fascinated by the ocean, and I think what I've been telling people this is what I this is why I think people love it so much is because I don't cover what's covered in the mainstream news. Mm-hmm. If I do cover stuff in the mainstream news, I go deeper and give it, uh, you know, sort of a, a marine biologist twist so because you are when you listen i am a marine biologist yeah Yeah. so i give it from more from the perspective of other marine biologists so what we talk about all the time so other scientists like science there's science twitter and and i have a lot of marine biologists that i know through twitter and we discuss certain issues and so when these issues arise i give it from that point of view and they also when you come to the podcast you also you also speak to people who are involved in marine science and conservation from all different aspects. I mean, you were on the show to talk about, you know, sustainable seafood, right? Yep. And it made yeah. sense because you dealt with a lot of sustainable seafood, especially from a recreational fishing point of view, as well as just from a science point of view. And you, and you took part in a citizen science prog- program and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and so people like that because it's not like Jacques Cousteau and all the Cousteau family talking about this, which is really high level stuff. Or Sylvia Earle, who's amazing, but right now she's talking about really high-level stuff and more political stuff than anything else. What we do, I want the I want the people who are doing the work. I want the people yeah. like on my show, like the people who come. I want the people who actually are making a difference, whether it be small or large, it doesn't matter. That I'm building a platform essentially for people to discuss how they conserve the ocean and, and whether they're scientists or conservationists if they do it as a career or not it doesn't matter they get to have they get to tell their story and, and the audience just eats it up because they're like oh this is really cool they get to know scientists and they're just like oh so they're not elitists they're they're not these snobby scientist people they're actually people who struggle just like we do uh they don't get paid a lot but they love what they do and they want to help the ocean and so well, that's that sort of what it, and you yeah. have this you have this facebook group to speak up for yeah. blue group on facebook and I'll tell you what I love about that is when I'm on that site, I'll post a question and actual real scientists are there yeah. to answer. So as sort of fishing guy like me who yeah. has a sciencey brain, but it's not a scientist has access to all these people. And I actually, for our show, believe it or not, we pull a lot of the news from your site. That's and I awesome. do, um, 
I do steal guests from you on occasion as well. So absolutely, uh, I get. I I keep telling people. I have actually I've guests lined up the wazoo for you. Uh, oh good. So we'll we'll talk after. But um, yeah, I keep telling them like you got to come on Fishner's Pod. You know, there's there's uh, David Schiffman, aka Why Sh- at Why Sharks Matter. He is yeah. huge into fisheries and recreational fishing. He's been doing this thing with land-based shark fisheries recently with Florida. They've just come out with new regulations, or they're proposing new regulations. Mm-hmm. He was part of of that policy change, or or being an ec- uh, expert in that. Uh, he'd be a great guest. He'd be a great person to get to know and and to and to tell other recreational fishers what's going on from the science point of view and from a protected protected species point of view as well. Um, but he, cause he also works with recreational fishers, right? So he's like, he's got that understanding and then he's yeah. got the science and the conservation as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really fun dynamic um, that we have when we have people on like that. Yeah. It's totally cool. And we interact with these people. I see them on Twitter all the time. Same yeah. people. So it's really cool. So how did you celebrate your 200th episode? My 200th or my 500th? 500. I'm so, I can't count that high. I get, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know what? Actually, I actually, I actually recorded my, two, my 500, you almost said, maybe say 200, uh, my 500th episode in Singapore at the Singapore airport, the Crown Plaza airport with a good friend of mine. I was coming back from a conference in Malaysia. We had a, uh, a day in Singapore where we slept overnight. Uh, we, I stayed in the hotel there and we recorded a podcast. We did 10 years of science communication. So we went back 10 years, how it all started. He has a website, this is Andrew Thaler. He has a website called Southern Fried Science, really Good popular name. website in our space. And you know it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And and so we basically we basically sat uh, delirious in a in a hotel room at like, 10 o'clock at night after walking doing this wonderful walk in a marine park, like a, a an island like marine park um with a with a friend of ours that, that we met at the conference who did a guide tour guide tour all over the place and it was awesome we walked for like nine hours because the next day we were going on a 16 hour flight to la Ooh. so we were like we need to walk as much as possible so we were we were exhausted we were probably a little dehydrated uh exhausted from the conference and then we decided to do this podcast and we had literally a laughing fit before we did the podcast but i was like what better way to celebrate the 500th episode than doing it in a different country so that cool. yeah and it doesn't get much more as <laughs> much different than that singapore <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool uh and yeah. i asked you to bring a, a a topic that you wanted to talk about today and yeah. so you brought with us you wanted to talk about uh, fishery slavery. Yeah, very a very hot topic, very very up uplifting topic. But no, this this is um, <laughs> always rely on you to bring us up. <laughs> yeah, you know this is what this is what scientists do, right? We bring yeah. you the optimism. But actually, this is this actually does have a happy happy story. So uh, at the end, anyway. So I had the opportunity when we, I went to this conference called International Marine Conservation Congress in Malaysia this year. It's every runs every two years. And this is the second year or second time every two years when we run this conference, we give out a, uh, an award called the Hiro Mora Sandoval Bravery Award. Now, this award is for people. This rolls off do, your tongue, by the way. You can just It does, that. doesn't it? If I were Spanish, it would roll a lot, a <laughs> like lot a better. Poem. But I, my yeah. Spanish is horrible. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, this Bravery Award essentially is for people who exemplify uh, bravery while they're doing marine science and conservation. 
Uh, and what's what's happened in, in Hiro, the, the ward is named after Hiro, who is a sea turtle biologist in Co Costa Rica. And in 2013, he was actually murdered for trying to protect sea turtles. Uh, him and four other female colleagues were ambushed uh, by poachers who they were protecting the sea turtles from. Uh, so what happens is they, they protect the nest, they stay around the nest, they guard the nest so that poachers can't come and grab the, the sea turtle eggs and, and destroy the nest and destroy all the eggs and sell the eggs for food and whatnot. Um, because we all know sea turtles are endangered, so we have to protect them. So these guys, you know, were protecting them. And this happens all over the world, right? This, this, this happens all over Costa Rica, all over Central America, all over the world protecting sea turtles. By the way, it, it almost always happens because some guy thinks it's going to make his penis harder. Like all yeah, the, it's really weird. Species, like, well, I have yeah. to kill rhinos because my penis. Yes. I have to kill elephants because, you know, my penis. Yeah, yeah. I it is. seals because, you know, my penis. It's, it's, like almost it's, so, it's, it's so weird it's why a lot of these things get get have especially when you're talking about like, like the big <laughs> animals yeah, yeah. um but anyway so this guy gets ambushed him and his and his four female colleagues get ambushed at night uh in i think it was march 31st or may 31st uh at 2013 uh he gets brutally murdered i'm not going to go through the details because they're awful uh, the women are. You could do a whole like true crime podcast, like absolutely. I'm uh, well, this is a, this is quite the story because uh, after the incident, so the the women were sexually assaulted. They were beaten up badly. They survived, thank God. But of course, obviously, what they went through, who knows how how they're getting along now. Um, the the whole sea turtle community and the conservation community sort of went in an uproar, like how can this happen? And then there's re more research was done. And by, by this organization, it's like a separate conservation organization that looks after the welfare of conservationists all over the world. And they determined from 2004 to 2014, uh, over a thousand conservationists were killed doing conservation work. And this is all over the world. So this is like, and even just, even just like in May, uh, five rangers in uh, Africa were killed for protecting uh, rhinos, right? So like this happens all the time. And, and obviously this can't happen. Like this is like one is too many. A thousand is disgusting. It's and insane. so it is, it, it is insane. And, and people are, you know, go through this all the time. And so we started talking to the people who started to go through this and we said, what could be like the, the, the thing that we could do. And so uh, society of conservation biology came up with an award called the high row award, uh, the high row award. And it's a bravery award. And what it does is it gives a thousand dollars to the awardee and it gives them name recognition. And so the thousand dollars, you're probably thinking, well, that's not very much. They can't really do a lot with it. And it's true. They can't really do a lot with it. Although these conservationists don't usually have a lot of money uh, to do their work. So it goes towards the work, but the real value is the name recognition. So the fact that we are saying, look, this person is doing this great work. It gets around the conservation community. It, it pulls their, their reputation up and it gets them recognized so people know who they are. Otherwise, they don't know who they are. And that does one of two things. One, it gives them more accolades. And then the other, it actually protects them. So for in, instance, there's this woman in Argentina who, uh, a biologist, was trying to protect orcas from being captured and sold to like places like SeaWorld and whatnot. And uh, it, it was run by the mob. And the mob found out that she was preventing this from happening. So they put a hit out on her. Jeez. And so she found out about that. She went to all the papers in Argentina that she could find, and she got her name out in all the papers. 
And because she was recognized, they realized that now that people know who she is, if she disappears, that's going to be a big thing. And we don't want that attention. Right. Cause so she's, she's basically she's saved her own publicly. Life. The mob is after me. Here's my name and face. If I disappear, that's who got me. Basically in a way. But yeah. Yeah. And that's, and so that's what, how scary it can be. And uh, so anyway, so we got to present, so the inaugural award back in, in, in 2016 went to uh, Hyro's mother and her family uh, who are starting a, a, an organization to continue Hyro's legacy, which was, which thought that was, that was the perfect, uh, you know, inaugural award. But then this, uh, this year we gave the award to a woman named Fatima. I would say her last name, but I would, unfortunately I would butcher it. So I'm not going to say it, um, but I'll put it, I can, I can send you the link if you want, if you want to put yeah, it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but this, this woman, Fatima is from Thailand and she, her organization, her husband and her team essentially focus on saving people from the fishery slave industry. And this is a big thing in international fisheries, especially in Southeast Asia. A lot of people from Indonesia, a lot of people from the Philippines, a lot of people from Malaysia, a lot of people from Southeast Asia and Thailand, they get taken or they get hired, quote unquote hired on these boats, get barely fed. They barely make it to shore because these boats are out full full time a year. They're barely getting fed. They don't get meds. If they get sick or they can't work, they get thrown overboard. Okay. This is like human rights 101. Like if, if anything needs to be done, it has to be done here, but because it's in international waters and because nobody really has a lot of proof, they can't really do anything. So what happens is a lot of times, I guess they can't keep the, the, the fishers on the boats. So what they do is they put them on an Island like a, like a, like a, basically a deserted Island in the middle of the Southeast Pacific and, and they chain them up or they put them in cages so that they can't go anywhere, barely any food. And if they survive great, if they don't, who cares? That's the feeling that these, that these people have. That's the disgusting part of this business. So Patima finds this out and her and her team go to these different islands within Southeast Asia that she gets like hints of where they are and she frees them all. In three years, she freed 3,000 men. 3,000 men in three years. She didn't have any money and she didn't have any sort of diplomatic ties to help her out from Indonesia or from like, because that's where a lot of these islands were from. They're, right. they're, they belong to countries, but they're basically deserted. And so, and not only does she rescue them, but she brings them back to Thailand and her team ensure that these, that these fishers get basically equivalent to Thai citizenship. And because they get equivalent to Thai citizenship, they get, uh, they get access to minimum pay, they get access to medical benefits, and they get access, access to child benefits. So that when they bring over their family, their family can, can survive properly. So that's what this woman does. So this award, obviously deservingly so, went right. to her. So I, was, I had the opportunity, the great opportunity to present the award to her. She got a standing ovation at the conference. She got to do a speech. Uh, she got access. We flew her into from Thailand into Malaysia. She got full access to to the um, to the conference and whatnot. Everybody got to interact with her, and it was wonderful. Um, on top of that, the, the where the recognition comes in was the fact where once people found out through Twitter, through everybody sharing and this woman's story and everything like that, another organization approached us, and this was an organization I forget the I forget the full name, but it's something like the Slavery Hero Award. And essentially, it's people who are out to stop slavery and help people get away from slavery. 
they found out about her story and they said she'd be a perfect candidate for the award. So we put in a nomination for her just last week and hopefully she'll get the award. So, and then from that as well, she's going to be uh, a speaker at the ICCB, the International Conservation Congress of Biology, which is our, which is Society of Conservation Biology's huge organization, a huge uh, conference of 2000 people. She's going to be probably one of the plenary speakers because somebody that part of the organizing committee was there in attendance and said, you would be perfect for that. So opportunities keep arising once the, you know, she got, once Fatima got the recognition that she deserves. Well, so these stories are so important to tell. Yeah, did you have her on your show? I haven't had her on a show. She's you had a chance. Not <laughs> I had a chance, but she's not, she can't, she, her English is not that great. Mm -hmm. And she is a little bit um, worried about that. So I asked her if she wanted to come on the show, um, but she, I, I don't think she felt comfortable. She did a speech, but it took her, took a little convincing to, to, to get her to do a speech. So yeah. I wanted people to hear her story. Um, she did a very good job uh, for someone who, were, whose English is not her first language, but uh, definitely want to get that story out. Uh, and so what we're doing, just to let you know, a little plug, I guess, is we're actually, we can only give, right now, we can only give one award every year every two years. Um, so what we've done is we've actually started a GoFundMe campaign where we're, we're trying to raise enough money to give five more awards next time. So you're trying because to get 5,000 bucks every two 5,000 bucks. Yeah, so far we've money, raised, it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. And so far we've raised about just over $1,300 for that. Great. So Great. I can send you the link for that if yeah. people... And we'll put the links up at fishners.com and we'll also share awesome. that in our private Facebook group and in all the, all the Twitters and Instagrams and all those things yeah. that you can get access That'd to be it. Awesome. And look, the, the cool thing, and a lot of people kind of miss this with the GoFundMes and the, and you know, all, all these, these crowdfunding things is, is if everyone just gave like a dollar, that's yeah. where the difference is. Not don't have to give five bucks or twenty bucks. It's a no. buck. It's from a little goes a lot. It's that incremental stuff. Um, and we're all beaten yeah. down by GoFundMe's. I mean, every time there's a fire in town, there's a GoFundMe. Yeah. You're like, well, don't they have insurance? Yeah. So a lot of times you see GoFundMe's yeah. for stuff that doesn't matter. But these are one of those things that matters, and it goes to a good cause. So you know, yeah. we'll throw some cash in that pile. You know, the fish notes always appreciate that. Always That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I appreciate. If I have that. any audience after being off the uh, podcast <laughs> for the last month, we might be coming back to our four core listeners. And the, the no, audience. no, no the the fish nerd the fish nerd audience the fish nerd's audience is loyal. I know they're gonna they're gonna salivate just waiting for another one. Fifty people at least will be waiting for Let's another see. fish nerd's podcast. And I should email each of them individually and say, "Here it is." Oh, by you the should. way, have you given me any money yet? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want me to continue yeah okay here's yeah, some money, here's some money. Yeah, yeah 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 all right but uh, i just thought you know it's, it's one of those things where these stories they really inspire you and meeting her like this this woman is like you know usually you'd think oh freer of slaves this this person has to be like six foot one and just massive because they're so that they show they show such bravery she's you know five two and and probably in her in her 50s and and it's just Powerful. this wonderful woman, but yeah. just completely goes on these boats. And I mean, these boats, they're not yachts or anything. These are just like the boats in like Dunkirk, you know, and like, you know, the, the, there's no protection from storms or anything like that. She just grabs people. She sees them in cages and chained up and then she brings them home. It just, you just can't, 
you can't beat that kind of that kind you know, of it, it, it makes me feel like such a big wuss because i feel like a hero because i got a dog from the humane society i'm like yeah i got a rescue yeah. yeah meanwhile this woman's like really rescuing stuff and i'm like i swung on a rope and kicked in a door and rescued a dog you know yeah. and i just said i just gave him a hundred bucks like i don't <laughs> it's <laughs> true rescue thing is so silly so it, you know, real heroes and then there's like you us. and me who are just wusses. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I – honestly, I even said in my speech, I said, I don't know if I could do this. I really don't know if I would have the – basically, excuse my language, the balls to go up and do that. You never know what could happen. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I like to think if it came down to it, I would do the things. Mm-hmm. But knowing myself the way I do, I probably would – talk a good talk and then get <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah no sorry guys yeah. you, Bye. you go ahead i'll go on the next one next i'm gonna year. write a letter yeah yeah yeah, yeah. A stern letter. letter yeah, yeah i'm gonna angry. Letter. I'm, I'm gonna just call our president come solve it. <laughs> get right on it sorry we'll buddy right it. Yeah. yeah you're out of luck <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad there's better people than us in the world yeah oh for sure for sure that's so funny uh, not funny that she had to do that. I, I mean, no. it blows my mind that slavery is still a thing. I know. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, I know. I know. I mean, it, to, to think, like, you know, it, it's, it's a disgusting practice in any, in any time, but to think that it still happens to this day after we all know what it does uh, and what it's all about, it's just, it's, it's sickening. It's really disgusting. There's, there's, there's really no other way to describe it. All right. Well, we'll throw some money in that GoFundMe account and, and move it. on. And hey, you know what? Thanks for bringing our our show down. Yeah. There's nothing. Hey, I thought this was inspiring. I thought you know this woman does this with a, with a small team. Well, no, it's inspiring that she does it. Yeah. The, the downer is that she has to do it. She has to do it. I agree. And that's what gets me down. I'm like, gosh, like, what if she didn't have to do that? What else could she have done? Mm-hmm. Or or does she need that inspiration? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be, we're going to be coming out with, with more like from speak up for blue with more information on that, because there's got to be a way that from a consumer standpoint that we can help stop fish slavery, right? There's, there's, there's gotta be something. So we're going to be looking at, I'm going to be looking at links to find out, you know, if there's certain species that we can avoid and that kind of stuff to, to get right down to it. So I'm going to be looking into it more to, to, yeah. To move on well, this. so I, I am I am against slavery entirely. I, I get behind Obviously. that. How do you feel about like helper monkeys? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't trust monkeys. <laughs> I don't trust monkeys. We yeah. went when I was in Singapore. We went on that that hike. Story. <laughs> yeah. We knew there was gonna be a story. <laughs> we went on this hike, and it's and this the the guide was like, don't bring any plastic bags or water bottles because the monkeys are going to steal them because they've been conditioned to be like in the plastic bags, there's going to be food and they, they run a, a, like a con. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll, there'll be a bunch of them and they'll run all over the place. Like, like cross in front of you all around you. They'll jump on your shoulder. They do all this kind of stuff to distract you. And then one monkey will come. It's a macaque and they'll just come and they'll just like rip it out of your hand. And you see, like people having tug of wars with these monkeys, and you're just like, just give it to the monkey, damn it! He's gonna kill you. Like these monkeys are strong. Yeah, they will eat your face. Yeah, like you're the cuter the animal, the more dangerous. That's always been my. my. (laughs) 
before I come down on it. Holy smokes. I knew you'd have a monkey story. I told you, man. I have a wild boar story too. Cause we saw wild boars during that time too. At the same wow. time as the monkeys. I'm like, if I see a monkey riding a wild boar, I'm, I'm out. Like that's uh, crazy. No, I'm in. I can, I can <laughs> go there. That's, that levels it up. <laughs> Who needs the circus when you got monkeys riding? Riding. Uh, we'll have to yeah. let that go there, and maybe someday we'll get the wild boar stories. Yes. All right, uh, moving on. Yes, we move got on. a call uh, from the crappy hippie who I mentioned is going to be on the show next week. Yes, uh, to help us celebrate our 200th episode, people called in, left their jokes, uh, and we were happy to have them. But he called it in, so I'm going to play it, even though it's three episodes late. Come on, try to keep up, man. Hey, I'm in. Hello, Fish Nerd Nation. This is Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas. And I got a joke for y'all in honor of my 35th wedding anniversary. Now, I, I fish with this young fella named Nick, and I hate to say it, but I out fishing pretty bad an awful lot of the time. And one day he says to me, he says, Crappie Hippie, you're always out fishing me. What is your secret? And I says, well, Nick... It's actually quite simple. If I wake up in the morning and my wife is sleeping on her right side, then I fish with my spinning rod in my right hand over the right side of the boat. And if I wake up in the morning to go fishing and my wife is sleeping on her left side, then I fish with my casting rod in my left hand over the left side of the boat. And then he says to me, well, what if she's sleeping on her back? And then I says, well, then I don't go fishing, son. Man, you've got a lot to learn. Thank you very much, Fish Nerd Nation. Thank you, Clay Grove. Congrats on 200 episodes. Looking forward forward to the next 200. This has been Crappie Hippie, Tight Lines and Valentines. Peace out. While we're celebrating, uh, we've got a bunch of new Apple podcast reviews and once in a while, I take a few minutes to just read some of the reviews out. And if you haven't already given us a rating on wherever you get your podcast, whether it's, uh, I guess, Google's doing podcasts now finally, and yeah, uh, Stitcher and Spotify and all those places, you can leave a review. Even Facebook, you can leave a review. Uh, it means a lot because when people are searching for podcasts, a good review helps them decide. So Lord Jeffrey wrote in, uh, fantastic, fishy fun for real heart. So I appreciate that. Uh, if you love fishing and are nerdy about it, then you'll love this. I fish bass, crappie, and even catfish in Texas. Most of the time, I have no idea what these northerns are talking about, but they make it interesting and fun. <laughs> love fishing news. I'm kind of crushing on Doc Martin. Everyone is. Uh, and so much more for her. Please keep up the great work. Well, uh, I'll have to admit, Doc Martin's really kicking up her SciComm game, her science communication game, and I love it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. She does a whole, um, she writes, does a whole college course out in her college teaches that on, on fake news. I love it. Which is a, which is basically, a, it's just a, it's a, it's just a critical thinking class, but it's, she uses fake news as the hook, right? To drop mm -hmm. people in. And she's flying people from our podcast out to Kansas because she got a grant to speak in her classroom. So, so um, Rhett Talbot's going to go fly out there. Nice. I'm going to fly out there. Uh, and our friends from the Twisted Ten um, are flying out there. The Twisted Ten podcast guys are flying out there to, um, to, be in, to speak in her classroom about fake news. <laughs> that is so cool. Are you going to talk about Flat Earthers? We always do. 
<laughs> they're the epitome of fake news. They'll take the most obvious fake thing and sell it to you. Yep. As real. And For sure. So there's no difference between a flat earther and an anti-vaxxer and a climate person who doesn't believe climate change. They're the same brain set. They ignore yep. fact and disregards what they what they want to believe and they want to be true. Yes. And they're all the same person. Yeah. You know, uh, the gluten-free crowds are flat earthers. So they're all the same. <laughs> I'm telling you. Like if, if there are some, there's a few real gluten-free people, but the vast majority of them are yes. flat earthers. Like the people who have celiac. Right. Have to be 0.001% or something ridiculously small. Yeah. Not enough to have gluten-free products on shelves in stores. No, I, I agree. I do know a lot of people, though, who do get it, like who do eat gluten, and then they're like, they, they keel over because they're in such pain. I've seen that, and mm -hmm. that sucks. So it's nice yeah. to have food like that. But for the people who think that they're celiac, or, they, or they're not celiac, but they think that they're allergic to gluten because it makes them feel bloated and, and, and not feel well and tired, that's because you just ate four slices of pizza. Right. It's the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, gluten may make you feel tired, but it's also the stuff you ate because you just ate like a ton of bread or you just ate like seven pieces of French toast and you're going to be tired because you've eaten so much. Yeah. So you can send your hate mail to Andrew <laughs> at speakupforblue.com. <laughs> uh, another rating. Love the fish nerds from Cat is Fishing. Five stars. Just started listening to you guys and I am just loving it. I also listen to uh, the podcast while fishing. I have a question. If catfishing is really uh, for for catfishing is really the stinkier bait, the better. I've been using four week old hot dogs, marinated in rotten egg, tuna fish blood, and sardine oil. Cool. Uh, cat, that sounds awful. Oh wow! So uh, what I question I have for you is, did it work? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> for me, just a worm works great, or a piece of chicken liver, and yeah. you're working awfully hard for an easy fish. <laughs> that sounds awful. But hey, tell us. Call us at 607-378-FISH and tell us if it worked. we got to know. Oh, yeah. And did you taste it? Um, <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. I want to see video of that being tasted. Uh, no chance. It, it must have worked. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Honey Dukes gave us five stars. Best fishing podcast there is. I can't agree more. Clay's laid back style uh, and love for what he does. It's clear in the show. If you have ever held a fishing pole in your life, or seeing someone hold one on TV once, this show is for you. <laughs> Carlos, life, death, and taxonomy. Thank you, Carlos, who actually was on the show a few months ago. So. Awesome. I love that. That's great. All That's right. Great and uh, this episode is brought to you by the Fish Nerds Guide Service. That's right. We are here and ready to bring you and your family on a guided fish fishing trip on a state-of-the-art brand-new pontoon boat. Yep, I said pontoon boat. This is a comfortable but serious fishing machine. We control for lake trout and salmon, which I did this morning and failed. Cast for bass or cruise into a cove and put the hurt on some perch. Uh, I was told to strike the word hurt and put a kinder word and I don't have uh, Whatever. Uh, I know that. Uh, head to fishners.com for rates or call me 603-986-4335 for bookings. Uh, and we are the only guide service in the Mount Washington Valley of New Hampshire that could bring your whole family fishing the other thing we do a lot of is just cruises i just oh yeah just to be out on the water is so yeah. good yeah i just put a partnership together with tin mountain conservation center and we do every thursday night a cruise on silver lake south at silver lake 
a nature cruise. That's and awesome. so they do the talk about conservation in nature. Uh, I cruise and they get almost half of the profits right back to them. So it's That's really awesome. I'm doing it for gas money, basically. Yeah. Uh, for what, 25 bucks a person. It's a 90 minute cruise on one of the prettiest glacial lakes in the state of New Hampshire. So check it out at fishners.com. Uh, also, this episode is brought to you by Thirst Productions. Our friend Rich is a one-man digital media agency creating catering small businesses by helping them improve their online presence. Uh, <laughs> and he's also very generous with his time. Uh, he does websites, search engine optimization, SEO, social media to targeted advertisers, website analytics, uh, and website maintenance. Rich will help your business speak to customers more efficiently. Thirst Productions also gives back to cold water fishing conservation projects by working with nonprofits at deeply reduced rates to help them better share their message. Uh, so if your small business uh, needs a digital makeover, or if you want to, if your nonprofit needs new online presence, call Rich or get in touch with him at thirstproductions.com. Uh, and uh, and I, on a personal note, Rich is working on the Fish Nerds new website. It's not launched yet, but it's coming soon. And it should be really great. I've seen a few previews. It's cleaner, sleeker, prettier, and all the things. So, um, is once that, that possible? Is that actually possible? I love your website. Um, my website is, it's, it's, what did he tell me? He told me it was like 33 pages in like 3,000 images and stories. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he called it like website sprawl. <laughs> Google, Google hates you. <laughs> Google hates you because <laughs> I own the fish nerds in internet. I take it over, so I I don't know. I just keep posting stuff. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Got to post. And stuff. when you have someone like Rich on your team, you don't have to be the guru. You know what I mean? It's like you know this when you make a podcast. Like you have to like you got to be an engineer. You got to be a producer. You got to be a writer. You got to be oh, a yeah. website developer. All these things. Yeah. Outside your skill set, Rich can be that skill for you, and he does a good job. Love and it. somehow makes a living at it, which I think is even more remarkable. And he has time to fish. Uh, and he has time to be part of our podcast. He is our, our fly fishing correspondent. And he just came back from a uh, fly fishing excursion for, for carp in the city. And so why not play his story right now? I'm sitting here in the downtown Lowell area near Songus Arena um, with Jeff Klain, who is a guide with his own company, Brackish Flies. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Doing well, Rich. Thanks very much for having me on today. So let's talk real quick about the urban fishing in Lowell. Fishing in Lowell is a unique opportunity for, for anyone. My service is really uh, just fly fishing, catch and release. Um, in Lowell, we have the unique opportunity to be fishing for warm water species, small and largemouth, crappie, um, sunfish, um, as well as carp on the fly, and all catch and release, all from shore, so no waders or boots required. 
because we're walking the streets, you just get to wear comfy clothes, bring a brimmed hat, polarized shades, and, uh, you know, when we get tired, we can stop, grab a bite, or grab a drink somewhere, and then just keep on fishing. So Jeff Donaldson uh, had some questions about carp fishing in particular, which is our primary quarry here. There's lots of smallmouth, largemouth, um, pumpkin seed, bluegill, a little bit of everything, but carp is what we're after, and we've seen probably 20 carp. Um, I haven't had any luck catching them. They're kind of just ignoring everything we do. But what is this? Is this like red fishing he wanted to know? Is it like bone fishing? Is it all of the above? It's not like trout fishing, I can tell you that. Certainly not. Um, I've sort of come to think of fishing for these carp, particularly here in Lowell where we're elevated above the canals, as closer to being kind of like bone fishing. Um, where you're sight casting for these fish and you've got to get fly that gets to them at just the right speed. I mean, I've sort of been reading about tarpon fishing lately where that's, that's part of the equation there is having the gap between the fish and the fly close at a natural speed. And that's, that's part of this as well. And I'm sure that others like myself have heard the field and stream article referenced that it's similar to uh, dragging a plate of ribs or steak or some other sort of savory treat through a uh, nursing home. If it moves slow enough, something will gum it to death. Um, and with that in mind, you know, I, I try to fish flies that will sink slowly or move slowly through the water. But that's not to say that that's the only thing that will work. Um, so we're using like a, a modified mop fly. Basically. Yeah. As as much as we may get some looks for uh, for having said that, we are using uh, the fly that I've had a lot of success with lately is uh, a colorway and an unweighted mop fly. Just tying the mop material onto the hook shank with a bit of a UV ice stub has been wildly successful for me lately. But that isn't to say that that's the only fly that works. Um, there are a number of patterns that have proven very effective. And you also have on one of my brackish shiner flies and I've caught four or five common carp on that pattern, which it's a streamer pattern that imitates a bait fish. Even if you can't get the carp on the hook, they're just these massive fish. And you see them through the water, and they're like this aquamarine sort of bronze color. And you get them out, you get them in the net, and they're just this golden mass of muscle. And... They have these huge scales that are just, there, there isn't really a fish like them. You know, the fly just pops right out of their mouth because it's, it's barbless and it's just this rubber, set of rubber lips really. There's no jaw that the hook pierces through. There's no teeth that you gotta avoid. It's just rubber-lipped vacuum. A sort of a dream of mine has been to find a way to make people aware of this fishery and just how incredible it is and the ease of access. This is a thriving fishery. This is how to fish it responsibly. This is a resource that we should be aware of and care about, that maybe people would see it as that resource, as that recreational step away from you know the craziness of the city. And maybe positive, we see positive outlet for energy, for kids, and for everything. And maybe if they become aware that there are fish in here, we'll see more efforts to, to clean up the water. There's birds everywhere. There's a great heron staring at us from across the canal. And um, one of the old mills, UMass Lowell, 
looks like it took over, but this is all renovated as part of that national park, which I guess I never realized when you talk about Lowell. Part of the, the charm of, of being in Lowell is, uh, hey, what do you have for you know, we, we're on the water, but there's also people walking by, there's construction going on. This is not your typical fishing excursion. But I think that's, that's part of the charm as well. It was first urban national park. I think it was actually made a national park sometime in the 80s, I want to say. But now national parks does tours all through here. They take people out on a canal boat where you actually get to go through the lock system. Um, there's a trolley that runs through the city that is free to ride for anyone. Um, that runs, I think, from March until October. Um, I have yet to bring a fly rod and a client on there yet, and just I think we'd get some even more interesting looks than we do walking around with our nine foot rods on the street. Which has been interesting. People like look and they don't quite know, and I don't think a lot of people know what these uh, fly rod rigs are. We got a big net, like that net is what, 18, 25 inches? Yeah, across, yeah, something like or you know, Big ass net. But um, rubber basket, we want to make sure that we're treating these fish nice when we're landing them. Yeah, and that's the other thing is catch and release by, you know, sportsman code, but it's also catch and release because you don't want to eat these fish. No. Because you don't no. know what's on the bottom. I mean, as as we walk the canals, if you look down in the water, I have no doubt that clients will see uh, traffic cones, hubcaps, Bicycles. computer printers, <laughs> every manner of thing. And even though there's the Lowell Canal cleaners that I believe come in once a year and do a cleanup effort where they drain sections of the canal systemically and try and clean out some of those bites and traffic cones and things, there's just so much waste from the factories over the you know decades and centuries. It's a wild place. <laughs> now define or describe the perfect carp scenario you're out here you got your rods you see you just talk through like what you want to happen um, from spotting and sighting to sneaking up to actually you know fishing in an ideal world you know we're out here on the canals we've got our rods ready we've got our flies on and we'll see a fish feeding on the surface we aren't catching them on the bottom we aren't casting our flies in and just letting them sink and wait we're sight fishing and with that you see a fish feeding on the surface or you see a fish cruising but not really motoring and you try and lead the fish we've got long leaders really 8 to 12 feet um, of 20 pound test uh, if not even heavier um, but we don't want to go too heavy so as to spook these fish they are a little line and hook shy reasons we use the size 14 hooks <laughs> yeah um, no one's fishing for them <laughs> no one is out here i mean we haven't seen a single other person with a fishing pole even kids that's what's no kids no everywhere. retirees no veterans no one is fishing these waters and i don't understand it so you spot the fish, you see you spot them the fish. circling, and they were feeding on top on things we couldn't see. Like. Right. Or the ones that we were seeing today were feeding below the surface. They were eating something, whether it was the pollen in the water or whether there were cottonwood seeds, because that is absolutely something that they feed on. Um, I'll sometimes use a ladybug fly, which is, you know, it's a simple beetle. You just use red foam instead of black. But they're not vegetarian, even though that's what I'm... Uh, grass carp are vegetarian, but they'll also eat terrestrials. I really think that these fish are, are opportunistic. 
and if they find something, whatever it is, if it moves the right way, they're going to be on it. And so we've seen the fish, we've decided that that's the one that we're going to target. You try and nail that presentation on your first cast, because if that fish sees that fly and starts moving towards it, twitch it the wrong way, it'll spook, and that fish is gone for at least the next five, ten minutes. But if you get it right, the fish will just come over and sort of slowly, not really suck in your fly, more just put its mouth around it. And when that happens, it's not a strip set, it's not a fast rod raise, it's really more of a slow and deliberate, just kind of up. Nip them in the lip. It, it kind of pulls the fly right into the corner of the mouth. We're using these curved caddis hooks and just getting it put right there. They feel that sensation of something in their mouth and they are by no means pleased about it. And they just run. And that run really drives the hook on in there. And we're fishing barbless, but I've rarely, if ever, had a hook pull out. I've had hook snap, but not pull out. And I haven't had the pleasure, they just kind of didn't even pay attention to my fly today, they're not in a good mood, but um, I would either miss or chip my pants, because I, I expect it just goes from zero to a hundred, because they, they don't like that feeling of whatever's in their mouth. To say the very least, it's it's really just such an incredible moment. And that's of, the drug of this, right? Is And as much as they're viewed as as fake fish or, you know, trash fish. The fact of the matter is, if you were to take a 30-inch long carp and somehow rope it tail to tail with a 30-inch striped bass, I'm confident that that carp would be towing that striper around for at least a few minutes. Ooh, this is a, this is a good fish nerd challenge, uh, a, a tug of war between fish. Exactly. I mean, that's that's my theory, at least, and uh, I have not seen anything that would be evidence to disprove that, especially up here, where I feel like these fish know they have room to run, and they do. They feel that hook in the corner of their mouth, and they are just not pleased about it in any way, shape, or form, and they just take off. Even, you know, you got a strong eight, nine weight, they're going to pull you. They're going to put you close to, if not into your backing. Started saying that to people. So you want to come out for carp, right? You you like seeing backing, don't you? Um, and that, that has a way of rousing one's interests. So Jeff, why Lowell? What brings you here? What, what got you in this fishery? You're the only one I've seen. You're the only one I've ever really heard of, except for a couple friends, um, Mike Crooker being one that goes out and fishes some of these strange places. But why? How? How did you get here? What brought you? So uh, I used to be up in Vermont. I was there for a few years after graduating college, waiting for my girlfriend to finish up up at Champlain. Um, and when we moved down to Lowell in 2014, um, I was walking around the town a lot, looking for work, trying to stay local. And I found an opportunity at uh, Lowell Telecommunications Corporation, which was really uh, across the street from, from my apartment building. And right in between was the Pawtucket Canal and Swamp Locks. And uh, looking in there each day made it Irresistible. All the more, it, really, it was, <laughs> no. it was just kind of like I looked at the canals and said, 
I should try fishing, shouldn't I? And I had never, I had never done any fishing really before that. I think if I had been spin fishing five times in my life before that, that that is even probably generous. Um, my parents didn't really do it. My grandparents didn't really do it. But moving down here and looking at these canals, something in me said fly fishing is the way to to effectively and efficiently target the fish in these waters. Now, swamp locks, that doesn't sound real attractive. What are these canals in, in the history a little bit, just briefly? Because they're right through the city. They're, they're very nice. Um, they're all lined with flowers and ivy, and there's different levels. Um, some are high, some are low, some are murky, some are flowing. What are they? So the canal system is uh, it's part of what made Lowell, or parts of Lowell, the first uh, urban national park. So it is a part of the national park system. Sort of surmise, looking at the canals and as we walk through the city, that these were made uh, to divert the flow of the Merrimack on its way out to Newburyport to provide power, hydroelectric power, for these mills, which were for textiles and leather goods and these waterways used to have you know power stations at each one and the flowing water would provide the the kinetic energy for these mills to be able to make their products and now um you know none of those mills are are actively operating um so they just really are an incredible warm water fishery right in our collective backyards and the fact that i don't see people fishing is it, it blows my mind every day I'm out, you know, um, to be in this beautiful historic place. And, you know, there's all these old brick buildings and old mills and it's just, it's very different though. It's by no means your typical fly fishing experience. My business is uh, Brackish Flies. I'm, I'm based here in Lowell, but I guide all over the state. Um, I take people out here in the city for the carp and the warm water species. I do sort of intro to striper trips, wading striper trips uh, out to the North Shore and South Shore. Uh, during the fall, there are some streams that, for those that are really die hard and are ready to go at the drop of a hat, can come out for landlocked salmon. Wild trout during the uh, earlier spring and fall, when we've got nice cool temperatures that are hospitable to them. and. Um, in order to get in touch with me or ask about any of my trips, you just uh, reach out to me over Instagram. I've got a Facebook page, also Brackish Flies. There's a website, brackishflies.com. You can uh, reach out to me directly via my email, which is uh, my first name, G-E-O-F-F, at brackishflies.com. And uh, I'm ready and accepting bookings for anything two weeks in advance from a given day. So it's not it's not all urban fishing. You do that. We run the gamut, which is interesting, which we'll have to do some other time. But I know how to wild trout fish. I know how to striper fish, but I've never carp fished and I've never been in Lowell fishing or any city. I've never done this. So this is a great opening, eye opening opportunity. I'm so glad that we could have you out, Rich. I mean, that's that's what we want to show people is the city is it's up and coming, to say the very least. And this fishery needs oh there goes our our heron friend just saw him swooping off down towards the merrimack it's an incredible place to be able to come out here for a few hours in the morning or afternoon either before or after work catch a few fish go home for dinner or go to the office it's yeah it's these, tough to be these trips aren't 
as big of a commitment. Like if you go steelheading, you have to <laughs> fight for parking, fight for space. You can come out here with drive Jeff. all the way <laughs> yeah. out there. This is we're right here in Lowell. It's not like we're out in the middle of nowhere. There's free parking. We meet at my place. We cruise into town for full day trips. I make uh, pretty solid lunches. Lately, I've been doing a, a 12 hour cook on a beef cheek. That's uh, that's been pretty wild from uh, the good guys at Alpine Butcher. My my favorite shop right around the, the corner. I've seen the posts. <laughs> yeah, those, they, they don't mess around, and they they treat me right. They get me the good cuts, and uh, it shows. Um, so you can you customize all your trips. You don't have an out of the box. No, I, and that's 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 sort of my thing, and what I try and achieve. I I want everyone to walk away from one of my trips just saying, "Wow." Okay, how about some fish in the news? Love it. Let's do That's it. That's right. You say, I love fish in the news. I do love fish in the news. Everyone loves fish in the news. First story. Uh, first story is all about food, man. Hey. All about food. And this is from thescientist.com. The headline is, satiated fish swim at the back of the pack. That's, I don't know what else I need to tell you. Um, well, is, that, <laughs> is that because they're, just, they're bigger and they can't swim as fast? Yeah, well, it, it turns out uh, this is from um, uh, I can <laughs> the McLean et al. Metabolic cost of feeding predictively after the spatial distribution of individual fish in schools is the name of the uh, article. It comes from that's a fancy way of saying that the fish in the front eat and then float to the back because they're heavier, more dense, and can't stay up with the crowd anymore. Float to the back and actually allows fish. To rotate and allows the fish to kind of eat a little more evenly. Um, and what they did was uh, the art, the, uh, the scientist Killen and his colleagues recently studied schools of Eurasian minnows uh, swimming in a tank against a current. Pieces of chow, that's a science word for food, were constantly whizzing past the fish. The team recorded how many each minnow ate and the fish's positions before and after eating. After calculating the metabolic cost of digesting each fish's meal, and comparing it to the fish's position, the team observed a trend. Fish that had just gulped down a big meal moved to the back of the school, even when they'd swum at the front at most other times. Uh, eating big meals reduces the fish's ability to swim. Uh, it's a reliable experience. And if you're going to, uh, relatable experience, if you're going to run a marathon, you don't eat a pizza right before. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the whole thing. The obser observation aligned with other recent studies showing that individuals don't position themselves in a group according to some preference or, uh, or their observations about where other members are. Uh, they do it just for food. A lot of people thought that fish had a pecking order. Right, right. You know, so like the strongest, most aggressive fish were in the front and the weak fish were in the back. Now they're finding kind of the rotating space. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an interesting thing. I mean, it, make, it makes sense from a physiological standpoint. Where you know the ones that eat the mo that just finished eating are going to go to the back of the pack. One, so they don't have to swim as fast. Two, they've had enough food, so they're going to let the rest of the school eat. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's pretty it's pretty cool when you think of it from an animal perspective. You know, I don't even know sometimes if humans would do that, right? If if you if you're looking for food to survive, and you're in a pack, say of like ten humans, and you're at the front of the pack and you eat a bunch of food. Are you going to stop at some point and even when you're full 
and then go to the back of the pack because you don't know where your other meal is going to come from or are you going to continue to eat because you don't know where, when your next meal is going to come. Yeah, it was tricky because you, you have to, to compare to humans, you'd have to like have this like consciousness to a fish, right? Yeah. And the fish don't think on that level. No, but I think from a, I think from a, just by a pure mass, they ate a lot. Therefore they can't keep up anymore. But I, I see, I almost, I kind of disagree with that because I, I think fish have this, this altruism that, (laughs) that, 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 that is different from other, from other animals because in a school, they're better in a school, Mm -hmm. right? Their survival is better in a school. So if they stay in a school and they have more fish around them, they're going to survive better. When predators Actually, the come, more, the more fish they are, the more they more they live. So it makes the more sense. chance of them living, right. right? Well, it's interesting because the scientists say the consequences and traits of group dynamics are not yet understood from this process. They don't quite, they're not able to kind of make any of those kind of conjectures. Like they're going to say for sure this, this means more fish live. Right. Um, they're, they're not ready to go there yet. And scientists are very funny about this. Now, I have a question for you as a scientist. Mm hmm. This is this is this is evidence to something that we already kind of inherently know. What's the value of finding more like support for stuff we already get? We already kind of inherently understand. Well, because sometimes it doesn't it doesn't work for every species, mm-hmm. right? Like we, it makes sense to us now. But like, oh yeah, that makes sense, but it doesn't always happen that way. And and so I think when you when you look at a study, I mean, you, and you and you prove a, a, a like a hypothesis or a null hypothesis that's, that the null hypothesis is wrong, then or is false. You falsified a hypothesis. Then you then you can say that hey, this is what these fish are doing for sure. We have evidence they're doing it. But a different species of fish may do something completely different. You know, minnows compared to like rock bass or or sorry, uh, largemouth bass may do something different. You right. know, you don't. We don't know. Well, you have different behavior too. You have schooling behavior versus like nomadic too. Absolutely, so, yeah. So it's, it's a very different comparison, you know. Well, you by the it. way, by the way, speaking of mean, I saw a bass try to eat a uh, squirrel the other day. What? I was so that's I was awesome. Uh, yes, yeah, so this kind of this uh, unrelated, I suppose. But I'm gonna tell the story anyway. So we were, I was, I was floating on on a lake, waiting for my clients to come on the lake. And I'm just kind of sitting there, and, and I saw this little squirrel, little red squirrel, fall out of a tree into the lake. And then immediately, I saw it get grabbed by a bass. Just water splashes everywhere. And then the, the little squirrel escaped. Wow. Now, he's about 10 feet from shore. So he's making a mad swim towards shore. Again, bass slams him again. Squirrel escapes. Bass slams him again. Squirrel escapes. Bass slams him again. Squirrel escapes and makes it on the land. Wow. Like, I don't know how the bass have terrible aim. Yeah. I was like, I need a squirrel lure. (laughs) My only thought was, first of all, wow. And then this year I've seen for the first time uh, in a long time, I've seen more than one squirrel and chipmunk swimming in the water. Like about 10 years ago, I saw one swimming in a lake and I I rescued it. And this year I've seen three or four just crossing the lake, swimming across. I didn't think that was possible. It totally is a thing. Didn't think it was possible. <laughs> Mind you, I never thought deer could swim. And I, I, saw a, I actually saw a deer swim across to an island. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. How about moose? Have you ever seen a moose swim? I have, I've never seen a moose in the wild, so I have really? not. Really? Yeah. in Canada? I know, in Canada. Didn't I you know. guys invent them? Well, yeah, well, we, we create them in, a, in our uh, hockey dressing room. 
That's right. Well, a few years ago, um, you know, Dave, uh, my previous partner here, and I were fishing in Silver Lake in New Hampshire. And afterwards, we had a camera on a tripod, and we were taking photos for the website. You know, right. Us. And while we were putting it away, some other guy comes running up to us and says, were you guys just taking pictures of that moose? And there was I said, a moose what? behind you? He goes, he was in the water behind you with these giant antlers. <laughs> you guys and are so, taking selfies of each other missing yeah, all this. So we look at the camera, and sure enough, behind us in the water, photobombing us, is this moose swimming across the lake. That is so cool. But not good enough where we could use the photo. It's like a, you, you can it's, see it if you're looking for it, but it's yeah. not your face. That is so funny. Yeah, so you got to pay attention. All right, you got next pay story from, uh, from fizz.org. Love fizz.org. Do ya? Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this headline from a science publication gets me a little crazy. <laughs> uh, friendlier fish may be quicker to take the bait. Nobody's perfect in this. Yeah. I know, okay. I know. And the words like friendlier are really attractive and make people want to read it. Uh, <laughs> the bluegill on your dinner plate might have been more social than the rest of his group according to a new study from the University of Illinois, and its removal from the lake could mean major changes to the remaining population. Uh, there's a reason for everyone's, for everyone's first fish is a bluegill. They are social fish, forming big groups around structures close to shore, and it seems like their social behavior and aggression would be super important in terms of angling vulnerability, says Michael Luzin, lead author on the study uh, in graduate students from the Department of Natural Resources. Testing the hypothesis meant a week's worth of fishing for Luzin and avid angler. And so here's what he did. He, he, made, he built an experimental pond. Right. The only fish in this pond were bluegills that he got from a hatchery. And he was able to tag each individual fish, right? So he had them all marked yeah. up. Uh, so he knew. And he gave them, gave them five days living there so that they could act like fish, which is enough time apparently to a scientist to have them act normal. Uh, and he and another friend fished the pond using regular equipment and methods for bluegills, like worms and jigs. Um, they catch fish, they check the fish's ID, and let it go. At the end of a week, they drained the pond, brought all the fish they could uh, into the tanks in the library, so they caught all the fish. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't die. Uh, and they had 38 fish assigned to the test group. Half of the fish had been caught at least once while the others had never been caught. So what, is that 38? So uh, half of 38 is 16, whatever that is. Half of 19 fish. 19 fish, um, yeah. 19 fish had been caught before, 19 had never been caught, and they knew that because they had numbered them, right? Mm -hmm. And now they wanted to find is there a social difference uh, of the fish that ate the bait versus the uncaptured counterparts. Why did some fish never bite the hook? Uh, and so what they do is they, they, they split a regular fish tank in half with a glass divider. They put the test fish on one side and then six random bluegills from the pond on the other. So right. They didn't know if those random fish had been caught or not, but the, the, of, those eight, of the 38, um, half had been ca caught, half had. Uh, and they wanted to see how much the fish spent hanging out next to the divider, trying to associate with the other fish. So the ones in the divider would be the more social fish, and the ones mm -hmm. who kind of pushed away um, were not. And they had the graduate students watching these fish. The fish that spent time near the divider, the one that wanted to be more social, happened to be the ones that got caught the most. So the conclusion was the friendlier fish, the more social fish, are the ones also more likely to bite the hook. Right. So that's, that's the whole study. 
That's really all it is. <laughs> yeah, and I, I get that. Yeah. Because if I, I wouldn't call them friendly or more social fish. Mm-hmm. I would say they're a bit more adventurous. Right. Right. They're willing to test. And in every population, you always have, you know, the, the individual who's willing to go above and beyond sort of the regular life, you know, to, to test the boundaries, to take risks. And I think in this case, these bluegills, there are individuals within that population who are willing to take risks, bite that bait that come right in front of them. Right. I often happens. think that if, if podcasters were fish, we'd be bluegills. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because we're always the first ones to take the bait. Oh, and yeah. And this is why we fail the most and why we get the most adventure and we talk to the most people is because we're always right there going, hey, 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 what about me? Yeah. What about me? <laughs> you know? For sure. I'd say we have the largest range of, of success. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And that risk is certainly, certainly there. Oh, yeah. Uh, We'll put links up to the story at fishnerds.com. But remember, be kind to fishes because then they're easier to catch. <laughs> be social, play some music, start dancing around. Yeah, exactly. You know, have a little fishy dance party. <laughs> and who doesn't love a bluegill? Uh, <laughs> Nobody, everybody loves bluegills. Everyone loves them. So uh, Doc Martin, uh, for those who don't know, visit, she's part of the show. And she's a professor at Emporia State University. And she works with us a lot. She flew out here a few weeks ago and recorded our 200th episode. But while I was driving her back to the airport, we recorded a series of fake fish in the news stories. And she would read me a story and describe it. And my job was to determine, is it real or is it fake news? And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is play one of those every week. Love it. Until we've worn them out. Okay, spoiler. How'd you do in this one? I, I, I'm not going to tell you. Oh. Listen, all right. Because I would like listeners to play along, and see if you're as good as me. Yeah. At spotting. Now, were, did you, would you consider yourself good at this stuff? After doing. Um. That? Well, Andrew, here's my problem. I think most things are fake. Okay, so you're you're a skeptic. I am totally skeptical. I don't believe almost anything. So when you come across something that you don't believe, do you do more research on it to see if it's true or not? Or do you just be like, nah, that's not right, and then just walk away? Well, there are some things that I can just flat out disregard. Right. You know, just they're not worth even researching. Yeah. And then there's a problem with me doing research sometimes. Like if you look, if you talk to flat earthers, they say, do your own research. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that often means don't trust experts. Right. Right. And, and my research is the opposite. My research is that I find an expert and I ask the question or I'll, yeah. and I'll trust, I'll, I'll be more willing to trust a scientist than someone who says, don't trust a scientist, you know, people who for sure. So, but mostly you can tell by the tone of a story. Yeah. You can, even if it's not, even if you, even if you can't quite tell for sure what it is, you can tell when something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's plausibility. Some things are just too bananas. Well, I also, the first thing I look at is the what website. Like, it's from, usually, because usually it's through social media, right? And you look at the website, sure. you're like, uh, no, I don't. Well, with places like BuzzFeed, it's just as likely to be correct or false. Like oh, yeah. Is, you know, BuzzFeed is not, not I, I don't, con- I consider BuzzFeed entertainment. I don't consider it for their heartbreaking news. No, but, it, but if you look at most news on social media, it's entertainment. 
for sure. And it's very hard pressed. Even the stuff we did tonight on the fish in the news, uh, it's really written for entertainment. Those are fun yeah. stories. Much serious. Next week we're going to do some talk about some uh, about lead killing loons and some serious stuff when John King comes on. Nice. Uh, and we'll get a little more serious. But I, I've been away a long time. I don't have patience after that slave story you told. I can't. I can't do serious tonight. <laughs> hey, that that was serious. That was a serious story. Serious. I brought the seriousness. You did. I appreciate it. That's why we have people like you on the show. <laughs> so let's uh, let's let Doc Martin do her fake fish let's in the news. It. I can't wait to hear it. Me too. <laughs> We're going to keep on this train of fish in the news. Is it real or fake news? All right. Now this one I definitely wanted to do because I saw it posted on our podcast page. Probably by, probably by me or Rich Collins. Probably. <laughs> yeah, more likely Rich Collins. Yeah, I think he posts more than anybody now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. And I didn't comment on it. Smart. Because yes, I wanted to save it. S-M-R-T smart. That's very good. Yeah. You were so close. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a picture from, let's see, a guy on Instagram whose name is at trout underscore row. Trout row? Trout row, yes. Okay. Like R-O-W, not oh. R-O-E. Oh, okay. You Too nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I liked the guy. Now I don't. Oh, can I tell you a quick segue? Because okay. I like this story. So you know that we like fish, F-I-S-H, fish. Yes. Okay. So I have a lot of musical friends that like fish, P-H, like the band. Yep. By the way, Vinny, um, huge fish fan. Oh, good. Oh, Vinny, yeah. you're, I'm so sorry that you're going to hate me after this story. <laughs> I don't think he listens to this show. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, then I'm not sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, so I play guitar. You guys all know mm-hmm. that. You've heard me play for this podcast. And so I go to like jam sessions and stuff with friends and whatever. And I play really terrible songs that nobody likes. And the person I was jamming with, he's a really talented mandolin player. And he goes, hey, Erica, do you know any fish songs? And I said, oh, I totally do. And I got really excited. Right. And so I start playing this song. And it's called Three Little Fishies. And it's from Sesame Street. It's like three little fishies. Da, 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 and they do this adventure. And he just like stops and stares at me. and Because um, he it, didn't get the joke. Well, no, because I didn't get it. I thought oh. he meant songs about fish. And oh, I was like, and- I got so excited. I was like, I totally know songs about fish. No one ever wants to hear them. Oh, can so, you, by the way, can you sing a couple bars of the fishy songs? Oh, gosh. Um, so I think I know this one. but I, I, Oh, I could. Let me think. I don't know how long it'll take me to think. You know what I'll do? Is it's something about a dam and the mommy fishes and the baby fishes go out to sea. Um, it's really, it's adorable. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little piece of it right now. <laughs> okay, we're back. Now we know what you're talking about. Yeah. Thanks, Doc. I, and, I can uh, imagine just like... <laughs> he looked at ex- me like I was oh. the stupidest person on the planet. And See, he's like, no, no, no. The fish, the band. I think that's heroic. <laughs> and I did not get it at all. No. It turns out nobody ever asks you to play songs ab- about fish. Yeah. F-I-S-H. But there, there actually is a lot of them. I mean, they're yeah. most, mostly country songs, but there are a surprising amount of fishing songs. Mm-hmm. Most aren't very good. No. no, but they're um, there. But they're, but they're fish. They're totally real songs. Right. <laughs> Not the band, though. Um, so I was, a lot of people hung their heads and shook them at me. It was awesome. It was a very nerdy moment because uh, I did not 
just went right over my head. Embrace those moments. <laughs> That's when you know you're winning. That's when you know you're like, all right. You know. <laughs> I have a fish problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so back to the, the fake You're, you're with real your news. people now. That's right. Yeah. You guys know. We know. We get it. <laughs> okay, so this is the, the at Trout Row, and he posted a photo of a trout mm-hmm. that he caught. Good. In Pennsylvania. Fake. <laughs> <laughs> no one catches trout. No. And so he called it a blue bow. Mm-hmm. So it's bright blue. Oh. With a really bright I've red seen that photo. lateral stripe. Yeah. Yes. And I, th- yeah. So I think a lot of you guys have probably seen this on the interwebs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll have a, we'll share a picture at fishnews.com so you can see it as well. Yeah. And now we do know that. Some of species, like hatchery strains and things, can be a light blue. Sure. That's a real thing. Right. So this is really, really bright. Right. For those who are never going to go to the website and look at this photo, which is most of you, how would you describe that shade of blue? Oh. Um, Just so we can get a visual of this thing. Blue. I don't know. Maybe cerulean lavender. How about a color people know? Uh, <laughs> you know <cerulean? laughs> I don't know where lavender is. That's, like that's like purple. Like light. I see. I, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cerulean. It's a great well, color. God, I wish I hadn't asked that. <laughs> it goes really well with chartreuse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's all right. Nothing um, goes with chartreuse. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's bright blue. Bright blue. Bright bluish purple. All right. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. I, I, I'm learning. You know, this is, this yeah. is new for me. And then the, the red lateral stripe goes all the way from the eye to the caudal fin, and it's really thick. And it's it's I don't know. It looks it looks like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's unusually bright for something. If, if you were making alive. a stuffed animal of a fake trout, yeah, <laughs> this might be what you make. Yeah. But he's holding it out of the water, and. Um, he's super honored and jealous to have witnessed this. Hashtag fly fishing. So mm-hmm. he made this whole post. So so is this a real fish? Is this some kind of genetic monstrosity or what happened here? I, I just think it's it's Photoshop City right there. It's Photoshop just, it, City? It looks pretend or it looks like it's just a, like a, a piece of plastic he's holding. It does not to me look real. Okay. So, okay. so um, I think fake news. All right. So Snopes did in fact reach out to this guy. Oh. And he answered. Those bastards. I hate Snopes. <laughs> well, at least they gave him credit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they won't give you credit, <laughs> but they'll give this guy yeah. credit. Yeah. All right, so here's what he said. Yeah, it's photoshopped, but it sure created a buzz for fun. <laughs> well, good on him for the honesty. Yep. Because uh, you know, we've been known to mess around with pictures and, mm-hmm. and to get attention. So good on him. Yeah. So. so that is fake. Yeah, it is fake. But it, it did a, you know, it, it, the funny thing to me about that photo it's not that good of Photoshop. So anyone who totally bought into it. Mm-hmm. Well, and it turns out uh, that people in general are really, really bad at spotting whether something's Photoshopped or not. Like just there's been lots of scientific studies actually showing people pictures and asking them if it is or if it isn't. Yeah. If, you're, if it's something that you are more familiar with, then you're more likely to recognize it. But people that don't know a lot about trout... Mm-hmm. They probably won't know. Yeah, and it turns out most people don't know much about fish. And yeah. and even people who fish a lot don't know a lot about fish. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of one of, the, one of the things I'm super glad about having you on the show a lot, Doc, is because 
you help keep us in the real know. <laughs> Which is funny because like I don't feel like I always know a lot. I have no. to go and read and do That's all this stuff. That's the difference. If you if you go interview the average fisherman and show them ten uh, non-game species of fish in their state, they can't name them. Oh. And, and they'll have a name for each one of them, but they will probably, I would say, 70% will be wrong. That'd be a good study to do. That would be a good study. All right. Fish nerds. <laughs> we got to do some citizen science on that. I like it. I love it. All right. Fake news. All right. All right. And finally, we're about done here, but I, I want to thank our Patreon supporters. If those who don't know, Patreon is how our show is primarily funded. I have a couple of sponsors who don't give me any money. Um, First Productions <laughs> is doing a, a barter for us and of course my own guide service so neither one's paying me the real right. sponsors are the listeners and the crowdfunding so those who are new to the show we are funded through our listeners at patreon.com slash fishners it's like a kickstarter kickstarter for art projects and so if you like our show we're asking that most of our listeners give us a dollar an episode mm-hmm. um, anyone who gives us a buck we will thank them on the show once in a while, I'll mail you some stickers or something fun. Enter you into a monthly drawing. We give away a fabulous prize every month, which I'm going to do next week sometime. Uh, and, you know, we have different reward levels. Uh, if every, Andrew, would this be so cool? If everyone who liked your show gave you a dollar, a dollar an episode, well, you do seven a week. Let's say they gave you $4 a month. Yeah, yeah. You, be awesome. you would be, you, that's it. You have a living. I have a living. You, and that's how our show is. If everyone who liked the Fish Nerds podcast, gave us a dollar an episode. That's $4 a month. I could stop guiding. <laughs> I could stop writing grants, which is my day job. I could take my wife out for dinner. Uh, and I could buy better equipment for the podcast uh, and pay all of our fees and all the things. It costs, it costs a lot of money to run a podcast. It does. So, so we're, asking crowd, our, to, we're asking listeners, to, if you like the show, give us a dollar. Just a freaking dollar. It's no big deal. Per episode, uh-huh. $4 a month. Um, so patreon.com slash fish nerds. I always thank our new supporters. I am um, uh, Joe Pacheco just raised his donation from $2 an episode to $5 an episode. That's gonna Joe, you're a superstar. Freaking hero. That's yeah. going to get him a, uh, a fish nerds beanie, um, which I, not beanie, a uh, ball cap, which I just ordered more of. So they'll be in soon. Uh, Brian, who gave us no last name. Uh, just started giving us five bucks an episode. That's twenty dollars a month. That's a lot of money. We're not asking most people to do that. Right. But if, if you do do that, after a month of donations, I will mail you a hat. Awesome. Um, you've got to at least pay enough money to get the hat. They they, they cost me fourteen dollars each. So <laughs> do the math. Um, uh, Alan Byrne just started donating at the two dollar level, so he'll get some Fishner's decals. And we have one person giving us twenty five dollars per episode. If you do that. I will mention your business on the show almost like an ad. That person is Josh Lopes from lopestax.com. Uh, he's in Massachusetts. He's a good person. He's been donating that much money to the show for a couple of years now, uh, which is great. And some fish shirts have gotten their taxes done with him or he's done some accounting work for them. So go to lopestax.com. Nice. Uh, and, and give me your business. He's giving us money. So give him some business. And we Absolutely. And we've lost a few subscribers, you know, in the last month or so. That's fine. Those people, people who leave, we still love you. We understand you can't give forever, but someday we'd like your money to come back. You can always lower your number down to a dollar and stay with us in that way. It won't impact you. You won't notice four bucks a month. No, exactly. So come exactly. back. We miss you and we love you. Um, anyway, that's, that's, that's patreon.com slash fish nerds. 
and that's how we crowdfund this show. Andrew, your show is also funded through Patreon, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I get the money. You do. You yeah. do as well as I give you. It's a kind of like a one for it's, one. It's kind a zero sum, but it feels good. It feels good. It feels good <laughs> to have that what, one person, one more person on there. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And it works. It's, it's, it's real money every month that makes a difference in these shows. So it matters. It makes a huge difference. It, yeah. it really does. Like, honestly, if, if, if I could take most of my salary from that or most of my support from Patreon, it would allow me to focus more on content because a lot of times it's, you know, when you have a podcast, it's your own business and you try right. and, and, and raise money, you try and do other things and you try and uh, get, get money from other ways and all of which takes away from the time you can put into the podcast by putting in more information, getting more people um, diving in more to stories and stuff like that. So the more you give, the more you get out of it, there's a really good, you know, return on investment and, and like the fish nerds and like speak up for blue, you're not going to get this kind of content anywhere else. Um, so, that, so it, it makes, it makes sense to support that type of content. If you, if you so choose, if you choose to do so and you like the content. Yep. And, and you'll be our best friend. So do Absolutely. It. Yeah. You can get shout outs and everything. Dollar. Yeah. Big deal. All right. <laughs> Andrew, uh, we're about to wrap up any parting words. What, what, what's the big takeaway you want people to have today? Oh man, big takeaway. Yeah, what's the big finish here? Come on, end strong. Uh, you know what? Uh, oh God, you put me on the spot. Dear God, it's late and I can't think. Yeah, there's um, never been anyone you can hand a microphone to and walk away. It's you, Andrew. <laughs> it's true. I could, I could BS with the best of them. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I'm going to say that the big takeaway is, is, is don't underplay the people you don't know who do great work. You know, the, like the people like Patima, uh, the people like Hiro, uh, who do conservation work, uh, people who do sustainable seafood work, all the people who work behind the scenes that don't normally get the credit or don't normally get get uh, sort of the spotlight on them in, in mainstream media. Don't forget those people. Thank those people when you meet them. If they're marine biologists or they're, recre they're recreational fishers and they do great work for that for that industry, thank them for doing great work because because that helps, you know, it helps, it helps a lot. And, and just giving them credit just kind of, kind of satisfies them in terms of the work that they're doing. They don't need money necessarily. They just, they, they love the credit. They do need money, but they love the credit and they <laughs> love the fact that you recognize them and that positivity really helps. So, so, so if you see someone on Twitter, that's doing some great work or you see someone on social media or you meet somebody in person, just give them, give them their props because they, they deserve it. They totally do. And uh, kind of speaking of, um, of fun if anyone is in philadelphia next week that's monday the 23rd july right. i am presenting at pmx at podcast movement you can um if you're on our social media i can i'll put links up uh so podcast movement movement is the largest podcast conference in the world it was actually started by a kickstarter campaign um and i've been asked to compete at pmx which is the ted talk for podcasters love it and so on Monday, I will be spinning the prize wheel, the Eel of Fortune, with eight topics uh, that are fish-related that connect also to podcasting. And that will be my, my whole presentation. I'll be spinning the Eel of Fortune uh, at Podcast Movement. It's a free event for Monday at 2 p.m. in Philadelphia. I'll send links out. The Podcast Movement costs money, but that one day, uh, you can come and support the fish nerds in Philadelphia. 
I also will it. be, I think I'm going to be fishing with uh, Carl Hayes, one of our listeners and Patreon supporters on Monday night. While I'm there. I don't think I've told him that yet. <laughs> but I'm going to try and, uh, and get on the water with him. And You're going to fish for carp in the urban Philadelphia? I, do they have I don't know if they, what they have in Philadelphia. Carp's everywhere. I, would imagine, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't I, be well, surprised. I'm, I'm, honestly, if I can spend an hour catching bluegill, I'd be super happy. Hey, they're social. Uh, they're just, they're they want to be your friend. They're so nice. <laughs> uh, and the fish too, so they're great. Yeah, absolutely. 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 All right. Well, so, good luck. Yeah, I, I won't be able to be there, but good luck. And I'll try and record it uh, as a bonus segment to the podcast. Oh, and I'm going to be cool. recording podcasts while I'm there. Put it on Patreon and make people. I should. Yeah. That I'm not that good. Um, but I'll, be rec- I'll, be, I'll try and record it. And then also I'm, my podcast is being evaluated by uh, PRX, which is uh, they distribute uh, This American Life. Um, that's going wow. to be live. That's going to be live on stage during the actual podcast movement. So uh, we're getting some some big time eyes or ears on the podcast to give us some advice on how to make it better, which I will take, uh, but probably not use unless we start making some real money because every every good improvement costs a ton of money. So you know what? It's good to get the feedback, but in 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 at the end of the day, this is your podcast. Sure. And people love you for the way you've been doing the podcast. The way you've been doing it so well we're bringing on a bunch of new voices and i'm trying to get the correspondents to contribute on a more regular basis mm-hmm. because i think having the, the different segments different voices makes the show i think more robust more diverse and yeah, if you want sure. to work with the fish nerds podcast um email me clay at fishnerds.com and i will send you a link to a form you can fill out that can get you on the list of potential correspondents and we can add you in i'm trying to get um I have to get about 20 solid correspondents who are like at least once every two months give me a story. If I have that many people, yeah. what, if everyone every, every other month gave me a story, that would be every single week I'd have four or five stories. Which would be amazing. Uh, it would be great. And that would, that's my, my, my vision for the podcast is to have more voices. I especially need women. I need yeah. children. I need people who don't speak perfect English and don't look like me. I need right. all kinds of people on the show there's too many of me in the world we need diversity so i like that and, and i think what's good too is the way because when i first started doing uh doing the segment on the podcast on your podcast you know i got to record it on my own time and then send it in mm-hmm. and then you would use it and then just yeah. kind of splice it in i think that helps people realize that you don't always have to like connect with you to do it. i mean you could co-host like like, right. like i'm doing right now but you can also just do your segment and send it in and you'll just splice it in um, and I Which think that's, that's an easy, makes it easier for, for everybody who's got busy schedules and stuff. Well, for people like you, Andrew, who are good at talking alone on a mic, I don't do a solo show. I, I need a person to bounce off of. Like even <laughs> if you sat there and said no words, I need you there to bounce off of a little bit so I can keep the show moving. Hey, I, I enjoy it. Yeah. So it's. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast. Go on Fishing Quest and doing all the silly things that nerds do. Big fat thanks to Andrew Lewin from Speak Up for Blue. Make sure you subscribe to his podcast. Um, we appreciate you co-hosting. Thanks to Doc Martin. Thanks to Rich Collins from Thirst Productions. Thanks to all the Patreon people. And thanks for everyone for coming back now that I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and so until next time, follow the code of the Fish Nerds. Spawn early and often. Avoid free lunches with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. 
love that.